Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is January the 27th, 2022. I'm talking to you, as always, from San Francisco in the early afternoon on a very sunny, pleasant day on the west coast of the United States. Uh, last year, one of the shows that I really enjoyed was with the Australian art historian Jennifer Higgy. Uh, she has a book, a new book out, uh, on... Um, the, uh, entitled The Mirror and the Palette, Rebellion, Revolution and Resilience, 500 Years of Women's Self-Portraits, uh, and a wonderful book about female artists and self-representation. Um, today we're talking about one particular artist, a woman, I have to admit, I'm not an expert on the history of art, especially uh, uh, early 20th century American art, but uh, the woman who we're talking about today, Florence Stettheimer, is a fascinating early 20th century um, artist, um, born in 1871, died in 1944. A lot of her work are self-portraits or portraits of her own family and her circle. And there's a, a really incredibly beautiful new book out, uh, a biography of Florence Stettheimer uh, by my guest today, uh, Barbara Blooming, who's dedicated much of her life, I think, as a curator and as an art academic um, to uh, Stettheimer. Uh, Barbara, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Talking to me, uh, as I would expect, um, as a student of, uh, of Stettheimer from the Upper West Side of New York City, just by the park. Barbara, what is it about Stettheimer? You were you studied uh, art at Stanford. You're a distinguished curator. You've dedicated a lot of your life to Stettheimer. What is it about her that um, makes her so interesting from your point of view? Well, it's interesting. Um, she was my PhD subject initially when I I was looking for an artist to work on that other people hadn't because I didn't want only graduate students to read my thesis. I wanted it to be uh, museum exhibition, so I needed to find someone no one else had worked on. And I saw her paintings and I burst out laughing because they're actually very funny. There's a lot of humor and bright colors. And you could identify a lot of the figures were Marcel Duchamp and George O'Keefe and people who were friends of hers at the time in the 20s and the 30s. So that was fascinating. Um, and so I wrote my PhD and I did a big Whitney exhibition um, in the 90s. And then I sort of put her aside for a while. And then for the next five, four or five decades, um, everything that was written about her was untrue. So about five or six years ago, I decided, okay, I'm the so-called expert on her. I'm not going to die with all these not true things being written about this artist who was very important during the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and all the major museum shows in Paris salons. I'll be damned if I die without people recognizing how important she was. So I went back and did all of these research again. 
and decided I was going to correct history and make sure she was recognized and ended up again throwing myself into her life. You have in your introduction a section entitled Countering the Myths. I want to talk about those myths which you're countering uh, in, in, in the biography in a minute. But let's talk a little bit more about um, Stettheimer. You begin um, the bio saying uh, during her lifetime, uh, Stettheimer was invited to and exhibited in over 40 of the most important international art exhibitions of the time often to critical and curatorial acclaim. She created a unique theatrically based experiential style that was one of the first to consciously depict broad subject matter through a female rather than the traditional male lens and was one of the first artists to document many of the central characters and events and social issues that characterize the first four decades of 20th century uh, New York City. Um, tell me a little bit about her background. Uh, she, she was from quite a, a, a distinguished family, wasn't she? Yes. Um, there were so-called a hundred wealthy Jewish German New York families that ran first the textile and then the banking industry in New York. And they were like the Guggenheims, the Bernheimers, the Seligmans. And her mother, the Walters, came from one of those families. And her father deserted her mother and five children very early. Um, and so she grew up really with this very matriarchal, wealthy family. Right, we have, and I'm gonna jump in here because I can't resist some of the, the paintings from your book are wonderful. Here we have, uh, I think it's a 1923 portrait yeah. by Stettheimer of her mother. She definitely looks like a, a grand a dame of, uh, of New York, of the Upper West Side or East Side of New York. And in the background was, was her little siblings paying in the background of their home. Um, and what's very funny, again, this is her humor. The little books in the bookcase are all um, actually very nasty books. It's Boccaccio's Decameron, and um, it, they're all sort of sexually erotic books that she has titled. And with this, um... Was this her metaphorically at least spanking her mother and family or making fun of the audience or just having no, fun? It was her sort of in jokes. Um, part of the myth of Stettheimer is from a very early age after the father deserted, she, her mother took the children to Europe for half a year where her sister, um, the mother's sister, their aunt lived in Germany, very wealthy apartment. And the family traveled throughout Europe half the year. And Stettheimer grew up being tutored in art, going to all the major museums, studying art and learning from the old master paintings, having art tutors. And she was very, very talented at a very young age. Here we have an image, uh, Barbara. I'm not sure what date this is from, but it's a wonderful painting. Yes. Uh, of her, this is of her family, isn't it? Right. There's her mother playing cards like a great Buddha woman, and at, there's one, the elder of the three sisters on the right, um, her younger sister who wrote books, seated, 
And then Florine herself, always separate from the others, she didn't get along with her sisters, separate on the left, holding a palette and a paintbrush. And you notice she's actually 70 years old. This is one of her latest paintings. You notice she's wearing a black pantsuit. This is around in the late 1930s. Women didn't wear pants. But she was a feminist, new woman, it was called, and she had pants made, not only to signal that she was a feminist, but also because her paintings are very large. They're 50 by 60 inches, and it was much easier to climb on a ladder and paint a 60 or 50 foot inch high painting when you're wearing pants. Uh, Barbara, uh, unfortunately, the people listening to this aren't going to see Yes. Some of the wonderful uh, artwork from your magnificent book. If they're, if, if they're not watching and just listening, they'll have to, to get your book, um, uh, Florence Stettheimer, a, uh, a biography, which is just as a beautiful book by University of Chicago Press. But one of the images that I was really amused by uh, in 23 is of this image of her sister. It doesn't surprise me that she didn't get on with her sister. This is, I'm guessing, a quite a a satirical image isn't it there oh very i mean she looks a little like a bug doesn't she with her hat with the little antenna yeah definitely with the antenna now this sister carrie spent her whole life working building this dollhouse which is actually in the museum of the city of new york you can go visit this dollhouse um and and you see the rest of the family sitting in the background. And one of the things Marcel Duchamp said about Stedheimer's paintings is they had this thing called multiplication virtuale, that she would paint the same people several times in this one landscape. So she would kind of multiply time virtually in one one's image. Um, but she made very much fun. She was, Sidheimer wasn't a very nice, sweet woman. She actually had a very well, nice... What's the famous quote about nice, sweet women, uh, Barbara? They, they never win, right? No. And I mean, um, her other sister, she painted a portrait of her. Even though they were Jewish, they loved Christmas. But her other younger sister. All Jews love Christmas, Barbara. That why that's why it was invented. I'm sure the Jews invented Christmas. I certainly, as a Jew, love it more than anyone. Well, anyway, her younger sister didn't. She was against the fact that they celebrated Christmas. So of course, when Stenheimer painted her, she painted her floating in the sky with a huge Christmas tree. But she put a little burning bush of Moses up at the top of it. I mean, she yeah, was, well, she was certainly a polemicist um, in her art, Barbara, and you're a polemicist in your in your wonderful biography. As you said at the beginning, one of the, the goals of this book, in addition to just simply writing about this wonderful artist, is countering the myths. Right. What were the myths that grew up around Stettheimer, and um, how have you countered them in your book, both in terms of your your biography, the short biography, and the artwork represented? First of all, um, this man who wrote a biography, a commission to write a biography 10 years after she died, and wrote in purple Freudian prose, didn't know her. And he claimed... Who was this? Who was this? His name was Parker Tyler. And he claimed that 
when she first came to America, she had a solo show, but she was still doing very Matisse derivative painting. She hadn't found her own style yet. And she had a solo show, which was very unusual for a woman in 1915, 1916. And nothing sold. And he wrote, she was devastated and she never showed again in public, except in her own little salon to her friends. And she was an eccentric, shy, virginal woman. So people love this idea of this eccentric, shy, virginal woman who was too afraid to show. So if you look at the latest Whitney catalog of the Whitney Museum, it says in there, they have a, a Stedheimer painting. It says she rarely or never showed because she was devastated because she didn't sell in her first exhibition. Well, as you, you said yourself, and I show, and it, it, there's a fact because you can look up the exhibitions. She showed in the first Whitney Biennial and the Museum of Modern Art, when it opened, asked her to show and they showed her work in many of their early exhibitions. She showed in two Paris salons. She showed every year of her life, except two, from uh, 1917 to 1944. And did the, did the paint, we, we joked earlier off camera, uh, Barbara, that uh, you, you had a, a Stettheimer in your apartment. You said they would be worth too much money. Did the art sell in her time? No, because she was very wealthy and she loved her painting. So she priced it at the equivalent of about two and a half million dollars because she didn't want to sell it. Also, so what'd she do? Just store it and. Well, yes, she hung, no, she hung it out. She had a fabulous design sense. And there was a new material called cellophane. So she draped her studio, which was all white and gold, in huge cellophane curtains. And she designed, she was also a great designer. And she designed these fantastic three-dimensional frames with curlicues and eagles and, and wood curtains. And she hung her paintings all over her studio. And it was so such a fantastic new design that the composer Virgil Thompson, when he came in and saw her studio with all her paintings, immediately said, you have to do the costumes and design for Gertrude Stein and my new opera, which she did. It was the first avant-garde opera in America called Four Saints and Three Acts. And it won her international fame for her costume design and her stage sets. So let's go back to that, the critique you're saying, you're countering the, the myth um, uh, of uh, Tyler, um, Tyler's critique saying uh, that her, her art was derivative. Um, a couple of images here from 1915 of uh, family port, another family portrait, and a, and a lovely one from uh, 1917, a Sunday afternoon. Are they derivative? Who was she most influenced by? And, 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 and what was the originality in, in an artistic sense? Okay, the, the first work he just showed was an early one. This last one, that, not that, that's an early work. That's still very Matisse-like. Right, this, so I was thinking of, of Matisse-like. I mean, this other one, obviously, is from uh, 19... 
Is this from 1917? Yes. This is now when she's starting to create her own style. And if you look at it, it's there's a little Marcel Duchamp, by the way, on the lower left. Right. She's very influenced. I want to talk a little bit later about Marcel Duchamp, right. her, his influence both personally and conceptually on her work. What what she's starting to be influenced by at this point, which is so interesting, is the ballet russe, which she saw in Paris and theater. And the Diaghilev, who came up with this idea of Gesamtkunstwerk, which is the integration of um, costume, set design, music, and ballet, all being integrated, top quality. Before Diaghilev, ballet was just dancers doing classical poses. He got the best artists, the best costumers, the best musicians, and the best dancers, like uh, Nijinsky, and integrated it all together so that it was fabulous. Everything. Is there a, a, a Stravinskyan quality to her art, or vice yeah. versa, do you think? Yes. And so she, if you look at her mature paintings, they're almost like a theatrical set where the curtain is just opened, right? And everything is frozen in movement, right? Like yeah, if you and she calls these, um, we'll talk about these, the Cathedral of Wall Street, the Cathedral of Fifth Avenue, the Cathedral of Broadway. In a sense, she's, she's commenting on the world. We are, it's a wonderful conversation, a wonderful artist. We are talking with Barbara Blooming, the author of Florine Stettheimer, a biography. After the break, Barbara, I want to come back. I want to talk about her self-portraits, which to me are quite remarkable, memorable. And I also want to talk about her social circle um, and some of her other social commentary, particularly on African-Americans. So hold on, everyone. We'll be back in about 60 seconds with Barbara Blooming, the author of Florine Stettheimer, a biography. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it. But I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows 
on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keynote. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Barbara Blooming, the author of Florine Stettheimer, a biography, wonderful new book, beautiful book, a magnificent book, uh, um, just visually feeling as a University of Chicago book. For art lovers, this is a must-have. Um, for anyone interested in early 20th century American art, particularly, obviously, female art, it's essential. Barbara, uh, before the break, you mentioned uh, Marcel uh, Duchamp, um, here we have a 1917 painting uh, by uh, uh, Stadthammer, uh, La Fête uh, à Deschamps. Tell me a little bit about Marcel Duchamp and why he was so important in her life. They were actually great friends and colleagues. Um, he first came to America um, because to get away from the First World War. And the Stadthammer women kind of adopted him. and paid him to give them French lessons, even though they spoke French, because he was very handsome. So many, many of the sort of wealthy art people in New York kind of adopted Duchamp. But he and Stettheimer greatly respected each other's artwork. In fact, he liked Stettheimer's work so much that when she died, he asked her sister if he could curate an exhibition of her work at a retrospective at the Museum of Modern Art, which he did in 1946. It's the only artist whose work Marcel Duchamp organized a major retrospective of, which is great. Stedheimer painted five portraits of Marcel Duchamp. And he made, this is one of the major ones. And you notice she knew his work. 1923, yeah, it's a magnificent, it's a memorable it's piece. And in fact, if you look at the portrait, the photograph at the left, I believe this is Man Ray's photograph of Marcel Duchamp. I believe he modeled this picture of Marcel as Rose Selave, his female alter ego, on of Florine Stettheimer. Florine wore a hat like that, and I believe he uh, used her as his model for Rose Selave, at least in that photograph, and a number of scholars now agree with me. But she understood everything about his ready-mades. They discussed his idea of the fourth dimension. He made a beautiful drawing of her. Um, she didn't like to be photographed because she always depicted herself, even when she was 70, as we saw in Pantsuit, as about age 35. So she controlled in her self-portraits how she was going to be seen for posterity. Um, they corresponded. They were very much art colleagues. She respected his work. He very much respected her work. Um, and he was he actually would chide her because she didn't sell it. He uh, felt she should sell her work because he he wanted it out in the world. But he she... was right. Barbara, you, you mentioned the self-portrait. Um, here's one that of, of her. Uh, we, we, we talked earlier about um, the show I did with Jennifer Higgy, The Mirror right. and the Palette about uh, female self-portraits. Here we have uh, a 1914 one where. She isn't in a pantsuit. And no, but she's uh, right. 23 one, which I think is magnificent, which is certainly 
she isn't in a pantsuit. If anything, no, but she's wearing an artist beret and her eyes are very loud. This is the most surreal of her works and her eyes are extremely large as though she sees more than other people as an artist. She was very proud of her body. So she's showing off here her slim, beautiful body. Was this an 1895? Was this this wasn't a self portrait of? No, of no, a no. She she went to um for college. She went to the Art Students League in New York. She came back from Europe, and this was one of only two schools in America where women were allowed to draw and paint from the nude male nudes. Everywhere else, they, women could only paint from plasters. They were not allowed to actually look at, at nude male bodies. But, and the, the Art Students League was also a very female-oriented school where women were on the governing board. Um, and she went there, and you can see that she learned how to paint very realistic, traditional academic painting. But then when she developed her own style, she consciously left European academic painting behind because she came back and lived permanently in New York in 1914, saw skyscrapers and saw that New York was becoming the 20th century city and actually said, I'm going to create a style to reflect that. And if you don't yeah, mind... I want to come to that style, Barbara, but before we do that, um, there's also, a, I thought, maybe I'm, I have a one-track mind, uh, an erotic quality to her work. Um, oh, very uh, much. Uh, her painting music from 1920, again, for people listening, you've got to see the book, got to get the book to see this. People watching will see the painting. This is a magnificent painting. I mean, highly erotic, isn't it? It's, uh, she was not a shy spinster. And there's a- That's for sure. I don't know why anyone ever imagined shocking, that. There's a shocking image in the book that is the most shockingly erotic image painted by a woman before 1960. Which one is that? I probably missed it out, but maybe we can- um, I, can I can hold it up. It is- Hold it up, Barbara. We need to see this. Okay, uh, it is, okay, I'm going to show you this. Um, this is not, um, this is a picture. no censorship on this show, so you can show me whatever you like. This is a picture that was taken of her sisters bathing outside. And it has been seen by many people, but nobody looked at it. If you look at it, that is her sister's vagina. Oh. I have to look at that more carefully. Now, I haven't found any woman painting a woman's genitals until the 19th. Was this her humor? Was it political? Was she a strong feminist? She was an incredibly strong feminist. She went to feminist, um, uh, what do you call it, meetings in Europe with her sister. She read a strong Freudian element to this as well as. Um... Well, she also painted the third nude self-portrait in um, Western history. That's why I put this on yeah, the this is, uh, And this is the image on the front of the book, right. uh, 
again, a beautiful with her red pubic hair showing, uh, which uh, is more than Monet did with Olympia, and it's the same size as Monet's Olympia, which I is a pubic of hair a off, but we'll show that as well. You know, so um, yes, the painting that you picked out, uh, music, is a she's dreaming of Nijinsky who she saw dancing the afternoon of the fawn in Paris in 1910, where he masturbates on a handkerchief at the end. Mm. Paris shut down the performance claiming it was pornography, but she writes in her diary, Nijinsky was beautiful as a fawn. So this was not a shy virginal woman. I, I don't know why anyone could have got away with saying this. You, you talk about her pioneering a new kind of art, um, here we have an image from uh, 1918 and 19 of New York's Statue of Liberty. You, you say she went, she came back to America to capture the uniqueness of New York. Here we have um, uh, 1929 Cathedral of Broadway, uh, 1931 Cathedral of Fifth Avenue. Go back to Cathedral of these, these yeah. pieces of art, they're all pioneering a new sort of concept aren't they into as you say they're kind of eclectic they're combining a number of disciplines and images and putting something unique together if you could go back for a second to the cathedrals of broadway the one with the the gray oh, yeah, yes. yeah. frankly that they are factual documenting in this case of the new movie theaters in new york Every single one of those lights in the background is the exact way the lighting looked on the theater of the name. The Rialto had lights in that shape. The Roxy, front of the Roxy looked like that. There's one behind that looks like the Duomo. That was the Capitol Theater looked like that. This, there was the Roxy, which is this pick, this particular theater that she's showing you here. You had the biggest rug in the red rug in the world. Yeah, something original. Is, was anyone else doing anything like this? No. Or was she really pioneering something entirely was, original in this kind of art? She was absolutely original. And if you look at any of the other paintings, like um, Cathedrals of Wall Street or the New York. Liberty yeah, the Cathedral of Fifth Avenue. Was there a political element? Was she influenced by the left and in their no, critique of no, American capitalism? No, but what she did was every single building in like the cathedrals of Wall Street actually existed. So she factually, that those banks existed. Yeah, you can there's see nowhere. I mean, we're looking at that now, it, you know, going back to Wall Street. One of the ones that I really enjoyed was 1924 Beauty Contest, Memory of P.T. Barnum. This is a magnificent piece with a, with a Spanish element. What is this painting about? Oh, this one is shockingly political again. First of all, notice the frame. She designed that frame. She also designed furniture, a table with that same wood uh, curtain with the gold gilt that would have sat under it. This painting for years has been called an entertainment picture because no one looked at it. If you really can look at the detail, which unfortunately can't see, the woman in the middle is the beauty contestant who's the winner. The little woman at the right of her that's holding flowers in a cape 
If you look closely, her dress is covered with red swastikas. This painting from the 1920s is really about the fact that at the time beauty contests had just started in America, but Jewish women were discouraged from entering the beauty contests. And of course, Stettheimer, who is shown up at the upper left, wrote in her diaries that beauty contests were a blot on American civilization and Stettheimer was Jewish. At the time already in Germany, the Nazis or the German right were already using swastikas as anti-Semitic symbols. And um, if, if uh, the Nazis were the blot on humanity, the great blot on American history is of course, race and racism. She has an interesting painting from 1920 of uh, Ashbury Park South. It of course brings to mind Bruce Springsteen. Uh, yes. It's a very different kind of Ashbury Park than, than Springsteen uh, right. wrote and sung about. What's so unusual about this painting when it comes to representing African-Americans? Well, it's a huge painting, first of all. And one of Stedheimer's very good friends was named Carl Van Vechten. You see up at the upper left standing on the grandstand. And Carl Van Vechten became very involved with the Harlem Renaissance, which was this incredible outpouring of great literature and art by African-Americans in Harlem. But this was the period of Jim Crow in America. And what, what I, what's so fascinating that I write a great deal about in the book are the context of this, these paintings. What's going on historically and socially and culturally among African-Americans and problems with sexual preference and the women's liberation and getting the yeah, vote. There, there is something very contemporary about Yes, that um, time and looking Very at her much. work now, doesn't right. she doesn't seem in any way dated? No, and in this period, Jim Crow laws was the separate but equal law in America, which of course wasn't equal. But African Americans had to use separate bathrooms, sit in different parts of the movie. And in this case, they weren't allowed to use the same beaches as Caucasians. And I'm, I'm guessing um, Stettheimer, because of the fact that she spent a lot of her time in Europe. She must have been particularly offended and yes, she was. She stated uh, she was anti-segregation. Also, her oh, I hope so, Barbara. Yeah, her second cousin was um, Natalie Barney, the lesbian poet. So yeah, she, she had a remarkable. I mean, one of the other things about your book and her life is she she was she was surrounded with so many interesting people. So in a, in a way. Uh, she does too much. She, her legacy is cultural, political, social, above right. all else, artistic. And it's a wonderful conversation and a wonderful artist and a wonderful book. Florine Stettheimer, A Biography by Barbara uh, Blooming, uh, my guest today. Barbara, congratulations again on the book. Thank and you. And on being able to speak about um, Stettheimer in such an articulate, interesting way and, 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 and achieving the, the book, I'm sure, one of the reasons why it's so beautiful to look at is because you've curated it. Um, in addition to your new book, Barbara, you're talking to me from your apartment on the Upper West Side of New York City in late January 2022. What else should we be reading in addition to your biography of, uh, of, 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 uh, of uh, Florin Stettheimer? 
Well, I, I recommend her um, poetry, Crystal Flower, which is now being compared to E.E. E. Cummings in HD. Her poems are wonderful. So they're, they're, she they're really... poets as well. What couldn't she do? I bet she wasn't a good cook, was she? No, she didn't cook. Um, also, uh, Lyndon Nochlin, who was the great art historian, there's now a compilation of all her essays on women artists. She is brilliant. So this is worth reading. Um, and I, I can't resist my favorite playwright, Edward Albee. This, I, I read all, I have all his plays. Um, and if you want the greatest playwright, my opinion, other than Shakespeare, and I do have all Shakespeare's complete works, it would be reading the plays of Edward Albee. Well, Barbara Blooming, the author of Florian Stettheimer, a biography, a wonderful new biography, University of Chicago Press. If you like art, you have to get this book. Congratulations, Barbara, on the book. And we'll love to talk to you again in the not too distant future about other female artists of the 20th century. Thank you so much. Keep well, and we'll talk again in the not too distant future. Bye-bye.